It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP Podcast fans? It's Amber Bradley, your host. Okay, super stoked to welcome Michael Reddington, otherwise known as Mike Reddington. You may have heard of him, may not. You're crazy if you haven't. The legend, the lore of Michael Reddington. You're back into the LP space. Well, kind of, just for this podcast, maybe. <laughs> it's great to see you. Thank you very much for having me back, Amber. It's always great to catch up. I think we need to work on maybe practicing and toning down the intro a little bit the next time we do this. You are a communication expert, which I appreciate, right? Because we're kind Thank of you. geeky in that way. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of the communication theory and things we got going on. Listen, uh, people want to know, inquiring minds want to know, what is Michael Reddington doing these days? I am teaching the disciplined listening method. So I had the wonderful opportunity to transition away from a full-time focus on interview and interrogation and really focus on moving into the corporate world and teaching business leaders how to apply a lot of the persuasive observation and communication techniques people are leveraging every day in the investigative world into their leadership and sales and negotiation and conflict resolution conversations. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, clearly there's lots of overlap, right? When you talk about persuasion. And I always like to say everyone's in sales, right? I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't care what you're doing. You're selling something. If you're an LP executive, you got to go into that CFO's office and sell why you need this certain budget for whatever, right? I mean, that's what you find. For sure. For sure. And all too often, even in the LP world, it's easy to, to, to think, okay, well, these skills that I use in my investigations, these skills I use when I'm trying to obtain sensitive information under vulnerable circumstances from people, well, that's, that's just for the interview room. These conversations are different. They're not. They're not at all. So leaving those skills on the floor or in your back pocket when we enter into these negotiations, whether it's a budget negotiation or trying to influence a group outside of our field in order to play ball a little bit and and help us with some changes we need to make, we're doing ourselves a disservice. And you mentioned the overlap and you also mentioned being communication nerds. For me, the, the, the jump from interview and interrogation to business communication was fueled by two realizations I made entirely by accident when I was being a geek and doing research. The first one is that the best leaders and the best investigators capitalize on the same two core skills, vision and influence. That one might not be as surprising is the fact that the cognitive process that interrogation suspects experience when they truthfully commit to saying I did it is essentially identical to the cognitive processes that customers experience when they commit to saying I'll buy it and employees experience when they commit to saying I'll do it. So if we really strip the labels off of these conversations that we have and focus on the cognitive process or the mental gymnastics that people have to go through as we try to move people from resistance to commitment, so many of these skills that we've been taught to use in the investigation process transition perfectly to business conversations. Yeah, I mean, those are phenomenal points because, I mean, you think about persuasion, right? And and I love your tagline, right? Because it's like strategic, ethical persuasion. And and the industry has shifted. You know, I think, of course, WZ um, and Dave Thompson and some folks over there, they're really helping push that ethical realm, right? Of the interrogation of process, which I think is really cool. So, 
So you're saying don't use your skills for bad, you know, clearly <laughs> you, because look, it, it's so true. And you even could figure this out at home once you get nerdy like us. And then you think about how it overlaps, right? The pieces that connect when you're trying to persuade, right? So talk, talk a little bit about that. You know, um, when you get into who you're teaching, right? It's the executives, it's, outside of LP, um, you know, those sales folks, like all the people to use the, you know, methods of persuasion sure, in sure. a positive way. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. And actually I want to go back to something else. You, you mentioned WZ and you mentioned Dave. I believe everybody that listens to your show is familiar with that team over there. And I don't want to go one second further without giving them a shout out and expressing mountains of gratitude and love that I have for everybody in that organization and the work that they're doing. And I just had a conversation with Wayne a couple of weeks ago. He was here in Charlotte and I couldn't let him leave without hanging out for a little bit. Um, but just learning how they're continuing to push in that ethical direction and how they're continuing to evolve their content and really be the torchbearers in that interest in that industry is so impressive and worth mentioning. So yeah, in case sure. any of those guys are listening, you know, shout out and, and enormous thanks to that team as well. I, I think you asked a question in there too, when we talk <laughs> about, you know, applying the discipline listening method and yes, you know, it's staying on, we could do the obvious Jedi analogy here, you know, the, which I know I stick to it. I on. almost did it. You saw me do it. Like, <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. These are not the persuasion techniques are... you're looking for. <laughs> we uh, had to do it. We had to. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's par for the course, <laughs> but you're a hundred percent right. And I recently had a conversation with somebody and this will make you laugh. They had me on an emotional intelligence podcast, that uh, is but very we, had funny. A, we had a conversation <laughs> about the word manipulation because really the words manipulator manipulation are neutral. We manipulate people all day long, yet we often have this negative connotation or this negative expectation of what it means to manipulate somebody. That must be bad. bad. Well, yeah. most mornings I have to manipulate my four-year-old son to get dressed on time so we can leave the house. <laughs> so there's, I mean, there's ethical ways, there's positive ways, there's negative ways. And yes, unfortunately, many of the techniques that we use in an ethical fashion, criminals use unethically. I mean, that's, that's an established fact. So for us, Yes, there can be some, some overlap in those techniques, but it's all about the intention. It's all about the end goal. Am I engaging with somebody to manipulate them, to harm or disadvantage them in some way for my profit? If that's the case, I can't support that in any way, shape, or form under any circumstances. Or am I engaging with somebody in a way to influence their decision-making process in order to persuade an agreement that they might not currently be considering? Because I believe in my bones, it advances the relationship, it advances the project or the objectives or potentially opens their mind up to new considerations that will have long-term value for them. And if that's the situation, then go for it. Well, it's interesting to apply that to the interrogation room in the in the LP world, right? Because these are my listeners, right? These are my peeps. Yeah. That if you're going into the room with the, I have a 100% confession and I'm coming out of here with a confession regardless, you're in that first category, right? That's like, I don't give a yeah. shit about this person. I, I need that 100% confession. But if you're in the second category of, you know, it behooves them probably from a long-term perspective in their life, right? To learn a lesson here. And behooves my organization for them to tell the truth in this room. And I'm going in probably well-equipped with what I think is the truth. But 
open, I don't know, is it open to potentials that it, I might be wrong? No, I, I don't think you're wrong. I certainly don't think you're off base. You know, there and, and having come from that world and spent so many years in that world, yeah, it can be easy to look at any of those investigative conversations as almost binary. I get the truth, I win, I don't, I lose. My reputation is on the line, my ego is on the line. So then it becomes it almost comes down to as investigators, what do we attach our self-image to? Do we attach our self-image to the percentage of time we get confessions? Do we attach our self-image to how quickly we get confessions? Hoping the answer is no to both of those. Do we attach our self-image to the relationship that we establish with the people that we interview in that room for the time that we have together? Do we, do we tie our self-image to the depth of the information that we're able to obtain during the interviews? Do we attach our self-image to the degree that we dedicate ourselves to the quality of the investigation pre- in post-interview to validate what we get. Do we attach our self-image to the percentage of time somebody shakes our hand at the end of the conversation? So a lot of times going into these conversations as an investigator, like anything in life, our efforts, our attention will go towards what we feel is important. And yes, I do believe you're right there. And I'm sure the crew over at WZ has the updated research and examples. But yeah, 100%. In any of those, it really in any conversation in life, am I prioritizing the victory or am I prioritizing the opportunity to unlock hidden value? Because if I'm going to try to unlock hidden value in this conversation, then I need to make sure I approach somebody in a way that not only is moral, legal, and ethical, hence the tagline for the Certified Forensic Interviewer Program, but also avoids embarrassing or judging them allows them the opportunity to feel like they've been heard, they've been respected, likely creates some unexpected bonds in the conversation in order to open up these new doors that nobody ever saw before. So I may now be ranting, but it is something that I think all of the guys that I used to work with would be really passionate about. You, you raise a Well, because there's still people. That's yeah. what gets me, right? It's yeah. like, and granted, everyone out there is going, but you don't do it. You haven't sat down for 500 interviews with these horrible people, but- True. That is true. However, I mean, there are people that you're, you know, you know, this like soapbox time. We've talked about this. I've known you forever, right? Where there's still people, right? When you're entering that room, you're changing their life and they're going to, they're, they're inside freaking out. And you're like, man, eh, it's another notch on my interview belt. And it's like, well, don't be a douche. <laughs> I, is that a bumper sticker? Yes. Um, it's on my yeah. car. Yeah, I mean, I can echo that point. And I would love to think that over the past several decades, the percentage of investigators that have that mentality has dropped, hopefully precipitously, as expectations have changed and as people who have come up at, at different times or different evolutions in the industry have gone on to leadership roles and then begun to create policy and change their team's approach and, and a lot of those things. So I would like to think that a lot of that has changed. Unfortunately, yeah, like any other industry, there's probably still some of that out there. Bad apples. But you're you're 100% right. You know, we're having a conversation with another human being. And at the end of this conversation, we're both going to walk out of this room going on with our lives. And I can think of two examples from my loss prevention career that really state the importance of it. One, I was walking out to the food court for lunch in those classy memory days. And as I was walking out of the upstairs entrance to the store I was working out at the time, literally, and we're the only two people up here, 
walking towards me is a guy I interrogated and fired less than a month ago. And we're the only two around. And I'm literally looking at him going, I didn't need this today. Like, <laughs> but I've got no choice. I keep walking and I smile at him. He stops, shakes my hand and thanks me for treating him the way that I did. Admitted to making the mistake, saying it was a lesson that he needed to learn. And we walked away. The second one of all places was at an unemployment hearing also in New Jersey, where I had the opportunity on very, it's a long story, but I had the opportunity in one night to inform, if I recall correctly, four employees from our loading dock that they were now free to go apply for other jobs should they choose. And one of them filed unemployment. And for the people listening who have been through those conversations, when you get to the table with the unemployment arbitrator, if this is a deck of cards, 51 and a half of them are typically stacked against us. They're looking for any reason to pay the other person. And most of the conversations I was involved with essentially went, okay, um, former employee, tell us your story. How did it happen in your eyes? Okay, Mr. Representative of the company, tell me why that's true or false. Thank you, I'm gonna go make a decision. That's basically how it always went. So I show up for this hearing in, in New Jersey and she points at this guy and says, reads him the facts of the report that we submitted and says, is this true? Please give me your side of the events. He looks right at me, right at her and goes, yeah, all that's true. Points at me and said, I told him everything that happened. I appreciate the conversation. I'm pissed at the company. And then started ranting about the company. And I'm literally sitting across from him going, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> So when she looks at me, I'm like, I got nothing to add. Like, we're going to call this a win and move on. But those are two lighthearted examples. If you, you just the ripple effects and how we treat people, and so many times, and again, you know, you know the A team in that industry for this topic. But so many times, when you see cases that have created litigation, many times they're over something small or trivial where the investigator either did or is accused of pushing it too far over something small. So, you know, where's our situational awareness? Where is our empathy or compassion? Where is our respect for the greater need of the organization? And again, I want to stress before someone's listening to this and thinks, oh, well, here are Mike and Amber. Mike moved on and now he's coming back just to talk bad about us. Now he's That's a not softie. <laughs> That's not the case at all. Um, but, you know, when we're put in those situations, they're all important things to remember. Yeah, and I think that, um, and of course, I'm no expert, clearly, but as I've dipped in and out of, you know, what WZ transition is, I mean, they are waiting more on empathy and not creating fake rapport type of things, which I think is really cool. Okay, I want to get to discipline listening because, you know, it's a thing. I'm a chick, right? It has to be. So you, this is a, this is this is a concept you created and have trademarked, discipline listening, and wrote a book on. Yes, ma'am. Which is so cool. I need a copy, by the way, because I wanted to come on here and be like, the book is amazing, Mike Reddington. But I'm like, I, don't, I haven't read it. And I will not lie. I couldn't lie to you if I tried anyway. But the point is. I'm pretty sure if you came on and said, the book is amazing, I wouldn't have called you out for not reading it. I'm just saying, <laughs> I probably would have let that one slide. I don't get the book. No. Um, so I want to talk, first of all, I think really cool. Um, congratulations, because that you. is uh, monumental, writing Thank a book you. and getting it published. Uh, but also this disciplined listening method, you know, when you, when you, um, and I, this always sticks in my head about listening, right? Because I had, 
a mentor of mine way back in the day, uh, Jim Lee actually Mm -hmm. told me once and it changed my life. He said, Amber, I didn't like it at the time, but he said, Amber, did you know that you, when you're uh, listening to somebody, you immediately respond to them with your own story, like about you. And I, and, and he said, what people appreciate most is that you're listening and you're asking questions about them. And I was like, and then I finally was like, oh my God, I'm doing that, telling the story about me. Oh, one time I did this to relate to them. I thought that's how you relate to someone, which is not the case at all. <laughs> they think you're being a selfish idiot. But you know, when you're talking to them and they're like, oh, well, it, it's asking questions about what they just said. And it changed my whole life, honestly, because I was like, first, of course, I don't do that. And then I'm like, you know what? I do that. And and it, it was, I thought I was being relatable when in fact you're not. So anyway, talk about that, I guess, from your expertise and doing research and creating this method and how it relates to the discipline listing and what that really is. Thank you for asking. And yes, well, also let's give Jim Lee a shout out for changing your life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Good for him. Uh, in many yes, ways. You, you raised a great point with that. So as I began the transition from the interview and interrogation world to the business communication world. A lot of times when I was working with clients on the business side, their assumption on the tie-in would really start and end with reading body language and asking questions. And while those are two fantastic skills to develop, they're useless in and of themselves and they lack any type of strategic value if we're not building the skill and recognition set around it to put ourselves in a position to use those skills to our advantage. So as I use that as my starting point to dive into the research and build out the greater skill set around it, and thinking back to the experience with WZ and the experience in the interrogation room, and really thinking about the importance of putting a methodology behind it. Because it's one thing to conceptually think about how we communicate and how we interact and how time after time after time we have conversations with people who share information with us that they literally swore to themselves they would never tell anybody and think, okay, well, here's how I'm pretty sure that feels or how I'm pretty sure that works, but we can't teach it that way. So when I think back to what WZ does so expertly, their technique has steps. And because of the operating environment, you can go step one through 18, 99.9% of the time in that situation. And for the people listening, you should. Now, in business conversations, they're typically more dynamic than that. There's generally more people involved. The topics bounce back and forth. Well, yeah, because the other person can respond. And it's not like, uh, don't, you know. Yeah, they're not sitting there saying, I'm going to keep my mouth shut so I don't go to jail. (laughs) They're typically a little (laughs) bit more inspired to participate at some point. Um, So in in that scenario, the decision was made instead of going step by step to stop and think, okay, well, what are the core behaviors? Like when we think about, I guess, first, when we think about disciplined listening, the concept of disciplined listening really revolves around two thoughts. Number one, we go into every conversation, every important conversation with the goal of unlocking hidden value. There has to be something in here that I don't already know, that I haven't already experienced that can improve whatever my objective is or improve this relationship. So number one is unlocking hidden value. Number two is taking responsibility for our counterparts communication experience. 
So as I go in and interact with somebody, the higher the stakes, the conversation, maybe the further apart our perspectives are, the greater the emotional reaction may or may not be. I really want to take responsibility for your communication experience. And that's not a you problem. That's a me problem. It, you know, Basically, and every investigator knows this, if I'm talking with somebody, they have information. I need it. They are in control of this conversation, not me. They're going to be the ones that decide what to say and when it's okay to say it. So the concept of discipline listening is predicated on focusing on unlocking hidden value and taking accountability for our counterparts communication experience. With that, to create the methodology around it, we sat down and said, okay, well, what are the core behaviors that disciplined listeners should be consistently executing in order to achieve those two goals? And as we were outlining those behaviors, then it came back to, okay, this looks good and this makes sense, but let's stop and think about this for a second. What are the people we're talking to experiencing? Because this has nothing to do with us. So if I'm sitting here thinking, well, these are the things I believe I should do. So Amber feels comfortable sharing sensitive information. That's all about me. That's not about you. So a pause was put on the core behaviors of discipline listening. And a lot more research went into what are people typically experiencing during these potentially contentious conversations? It doesn't right. mean it goes sideways. It just means it could. Yeah. And that so, even means like a negotiation. Like if you're in 100%. sales, you're trying to get a certain price and the other person's trying to get a certain deal. hundred percent. So we, it, coincidentally, we ended up arriving at the seven stages of potentially contentious conversations and the seven core behaviors of the discipline listening method. And once we had those, then when it came to fully developing the curriculum and eventually getting to the book, the question became, okay, where are the research and best practices that either prove this is BS or support it and add value to it? And that's where the geek in me had so much fun because I was able to dive into business from the world of or research from the world of academia and business to come through you know, listening styles and preferences and choices and distractions and impact and spent a lot of time on developing situational awareness, which we already talked about. And really when if people take the time to read the book, it's written in an arc so that the first half of the, oh, I was going to do three halves, but I guess it would be thirds, right? I'm not good at math. I talk to people. I don't add or subtract. When uh, the first third of the book is really building up that awareness of how and why we listen the way we do, what are the traps and pitfalls we typically fall into, and then how can we begin to adjust our mindset to be better listeners? Which then I'll we, tell you is, is like you're born with, don't you think? Because I learned that oh, I'm going to tell you a story about me and that's going to relate to you. I learned that, you know, from my background, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. noticed that my mom does that sometimes. Don't, I love you, mom. I mean, she knows that, but you know Passing what I mean? Like, blame. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, that's, that's all, it's almost like an unconscious bias, right? When you mm -hmm. think about the DE and I conversations, right? Because sure. I honestly believe these communication strategies that, that you grow up with, in that first part that you're talking about is deep in there, man. Cause it's not like I ever knew I was doing that or I never would do that. No. You know, no, most people don't. And to go back to the star Wars, well, we have to unlearn <laughs> what we have learned. Yeah. So when you think about it growing up, how do parents talk to us? Do this, do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. When I was a kid, I walked uphill both ways to school in the snow, barefoot, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Then you think about how teachers and coaches talk to us. 
same thing. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what you're screwing up. You need to do it this way. You're not listening. Then you think about the first jobs we had when we were young. We were Most of us, I'm assuming, were treated as disposable assets at that point. So we weren't really getting a whole lot of extra attention. So when you think about people who were leaders or influencers in our lives, people, role models we could have looked up to, the vast majority of them talk to us the way you just described. So we become operationally conditioned. That must be the way to talk. We don't know yeah. any different. We weren't taught any different. And I honestly believe, for me, for the guys I used to work with, and for many of the investigators that listen to your show, one of the biggest developmental advantages we have is we are forced to talk to people who want absolutely nothing to do with talking to us. And for me, socially, that's probably something I've been dealing with my whole life. But professionally, <laughs> we are tasked with sitting down with people who have zero motivation to tell us the truth, none. And based on the relationship we create in the conversation is what causes them to go from no way to, okay, I tell you a little bit to, well, here's pretty much everything more or less. Here's what, here's what happened. So your point on, on learning what we've learned and in realizing or focusing on, it's not about what do I need to say? It's about what does the other person need to experience? And that's where that research into developing the seven stages and the seven core behaviors really comes into play. And then everything after that, the last third of the book would likely be familiar to investigators because that's where we get into body language and verbal behavior and asking questions and persuasion and that type of thing. But although there are some investigative examples in there from my background, it is all geared towards business and it is not business and personal life, those examples too. And it has nothing to do with identifying truth or lie. You know, the WZ guys have long been pounding that drum. It has everything to do with identifying why somebody's emotions are shifting, comfort levels are shifting and tying it back to the goals we're trying to achieve in this conversation. So Two things that I'm probably proudest of looking back at the book, the depth and breadth of research that went into it and the fact, and I'm extremely grateful for this, that Shane Sturman wrote the foreword for the book. And I know, how, I know how busy he is and I know how much he's got going on. And I know, I have an idea at this point of all the things WZ is involved with in the direction that they're going. And for him to carve time out of his life in order to go through the revision process and get it all down on paper and, and, and add all that and put his name on it was an enormous piece for me. And I, I don't think I could thank him enough for that, um, but certainly grateful you know, that he added that really important stamp to the whole piece. So, so really, really, really thrilled about that too. Well, and it sounds like, you know, the book might be a nice kind of well-rounded look right so say you're you, you've had the wz you've done your interrogations you've you know gone to the master class maybe even a cfi which we of course highly recommend but yes ma'am you know and then you've got uh maybe the business side of it maybe it's just like that i think the book would be a great read for someone that's like hey let me let me round this out right let me go in yeah. because clearly you know, there's not many executives that I talked to on this podcast that haven't had to have a conversation that goes pretty well at the mm -hmm. leadership level, right? Sure. I mean, sure. so, you know, there, there are other conversations they're sitting in that aren't just interrogation. I would agree hundred percent. Now, clearly I'm biased in this situation because my name's <laughs> on the cover. So let's get that out of the way real fast. 
But yes, and and especially at that managerial or executive level, where we talk about continuing to develop our perspective, sharpen the axe, and also look for ways to bring the techniques or perspectives that we use in one arena or area of our previous experience or job into the new or prepare for the next. So biased, of course, I would say that manager, that leader, that person looking to evolve their career and how they communicate with people, it, it would be a great fit for because it really is written exactly as that. And as a CFI, I'm sure I'm biased again here, but the I would imagine that the, the language, the philosophy, the thought process will be a natural extension of how many CFIs already engage in many of their conversations. Yeah, and it might be like a skill set they have. They just don't even know that they have it because mm-hmm. they need, you know, a little help relating it, right? Which which might be where the discipline listening um it takes impact and, you know, they get the book and it's like, oh yeah, I've already been doing that. I know how to do that. Just switch it over here. That'd be perfect. All right. So, you know, we're not going to finish this podcast without your face. You're like, oh God. I don't I've know. Talk I'm about a this. little worried. I know. Yeah, I got to so. talk about this. Jiu-jitsu champion. Did I say it right? Yeah. That you yeah. okay? First off, your wife's a saint just because I know you for a long time. I'm just she's, kidding. But she's she has she's to a be. multi-level saint. Yeah. Yes. For sure. Okay. For sure. But listen, she posted something on LinkedIn. Yeah. And, I, she and it was did. a picture of you, which I she good did. for her because yeah. what? 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 No, it was something big. I mean, it was like world champion of global well, no. domination. No, no. What Let's is it? Tell me. Back Tell me. I want to know. Seriously. Well, first, my wife is a saint multiple times over. And like, like there's no words for how much yeah, I love her. Yeah, because you're an entrepreneur. And, yeah, yeah, which is and, that it takes my husband being in the same realm. And entrepreneurs are nightmares. But so I, I, I was a that. nightmare before. I just, That's true. So now That's I'm a true. But at least but you can she, kill uh, someone. And I want to hear about that. <laughs> she sandbagged me. So she told me that she wanted to post something about the book and asked me if she could take a picture of me holding the book. And I said, yeah, you know, okay, fine. You can do that. So she takes a picture of me holding the book. I had an engagement that day. So I kiss her goodbye. Have a great day. Love you, babe. Boom. Go do my thing. I come home, check my feed. And now she's got pictures of me holding the book. And from the tournament the past weekend, I was like, that's not what we're she's awesome about. yes you do yes you do that was brilliant i love her she's a marketing mind and in, in retrospect you're absolutely right and as you know blew me, up. i'm just not comfortable i do stuff out there but i do so let's go way back from world <laughs> and local <laughs> um so there are yes i do train brazilian jiu-jitsu um have off and on for a long time and there are several organizations that have competitions around the country multiple times a year. And a couple of months ago, I gave in to some peer pressure within my academy and agreed to compete. And so I competed at one of the local tournaments here in Charlotte. And they're essentially broken up by rank, age, and weight. So you're supposed to be with people who have your relative skill set at your relative age and your relative size. They didn't have anybody in my weight class, so I did have to go up a weight class. Oh, uh, see? But yes, 
I was able to survive that experience with you won. Um, with you won. Bronze, Don't yeah, be bronze and a gold medal. That's ins- that's yeah. awesome. Come on, man. That's awesome. So if you hate the book, go ahead. Try to tell Mike Reddington that you hate the book. Jiu-Jitsu champion of I the will, world. I would just have to refer them to my personal protector, <laughs> Brett Ward, and let, let him handle it for me. <laughs> Everyone's scared of Brett. No, once you get to know him. But listen, uh, I think that's really cool. I didn't even know that Thank about you. you. And you said you've been Thank doing you. it a long time. We've known each other a long time. We have. That's cool, man. That's really cool. I don't know where you find the time, honestly. But um, okay, we have to end it with, and I'll put it in the show notes where they can get the book. I'm assuming it's on like Amazon or it is. Yeah, it Barnes is. And it's Noble. On, yep, it's on both. It's on Amazon yeah. and Barnes and Noble. If you search the Discipline Listening Method, it will come up on both. There's a website specifically dedicated for the book, DisciplineListening.com. So if you want to check out some of the reviews and endorsements and peek at a so chapter, go there to get DisciplineListening.com. Go there well, to it, get it. Yeah, but the, if you go to that website, it's still going to take you to Amazon. Oh, or Barnes okay. and Noble to I was just see. I was book, trying to so. thinking you got a better cut. Like no, they went there. I wish. I, I was wish. Saying, I just yeah. saying. No, um, um, but yeah, so those are, those will be the places to find the book to learn more about um, what I'm doing now. They can check out inquasive.com or michaelreddington.com. And if any of your listeners aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn and would like to, it's Michael Reddington CFI. And I'd obviously be very, very happy to, to connect and stay in touch with anyone there. So I have to ask you this really quick. Uh, how did you, what is with the name Inquasive? So once upon a time in a land far, far away, I had the opportunity to sit in on several conversations with a marketing firm as they were naming companies. So I got to go through the process of how they broke it down and I took copious notes. So when it came time for me to do it, I dug out those notes and went through the options. And very long story short, I decided that I wanted something that was simple, something that was unique, something that I could own, um, something that was illustrative of what I did But when people heard it, if there was any interest at all, they would have to stop and think, wait, what is that? Because then that that starts to draw them in. So you would have laughed hysterically if you saw the word games I played at the time. But essentially, inquisive is the mashup of the words inquire and persuasive. Oh, nice. I had the inquire, not the back end. So, you know, I uh, I I was I've always wondered that. So I had to get that in. Um, but good. So I'll put some links to your stuff in the show notes. And as always, it's awesome catching up, Mike. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on all your success. And uh, I look forward to my free signed copy of the Discipline Listening Method. You know, I mean, I, I'll go to I Amazon, will. but I'm not going to get it signed. Who's going right, to sign yeah. it for me? Yeah, I, listen, some, some dude in the fulfillment center. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'll promise you this. If I ever write a book, I'll sign you. I'll sign it and send you a copy. Thank you. I appreciate well, that. By the way, um, you are responsible for the first proper article I ever got published, which you probably don't remember. I don't. What's that? Back when you worked for the magazine. LP you and magazine. I were having a conversation at some point and I just popped off my mouth. I was like, yeah, because it was actually around the time that I started studying the correlation between interrogation and business conversations. And I was like, yeah, I could write an article about that. And you're like, good, here's the date I need it by. <laughs> and so it was negotiate like an interrogator. Ah, uh, nice. And you got it published in the magazine. And that was the first ever proper article that I had published. And fast forward, I don't know how many years. And now you're an author, that. like a 15, for real 16, author. 17. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. If we're doing tit for tat on thank yous, I got to thank you for my first cover article on LP magazine. Are we the liars? That's because right. I wrote that, which was my, it's my favorite. Are we the liars? And you should check that out. LP magazine. I don't know where it is. It's on my LinkedIn profile, but I heard you do a presentation at an FMI about written statements. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, this, I was very new to the industry, pretty new. And so I was like, this is interesting. Like, are the interrogators, the liars, like what's going on here? That's before I knew more about the rapport building thing and the step of the ethical practice, all of that. Right. So, but still cover story, LP magazine, are we the liars? And then I had a follow-up and several other um, articles on it, but see, we're like kismet here. It's perfect. <laughs> the circle of life can the circle of LP life, isn't it wonderful? But seriously, so, congratulations on all your success. I mean, I, I it's really awesome. Um, writing a book is a huge feat. And fit, go get your copy, it's in the show notes. Thanks again, Mike Reddington. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for having me. Stay safe, take care. All right, thanks for listening. At what is it? Let's talk LP. That's Twitter. I check it so often. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn though. Don't forget to download talk LP news app. No registration required. And it's free late breaking loss prevention headlines, podcasts, research. It's crazy jobs. Even download talk LP news app from any of your favorite sources. Thanks for listening guys. See ya. Like we do it.